Everything we do is about teaching the parents and teachers the system. And that is what we're still going for today. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Happy anniversary, Andrew. Anniversary? Well, I'm thinking that today, or somewhere around this day, is when you and I first met. Well, um, (laughs) typically, like a woman, you would keep track of that kind of thing. And typically, like a man, I would not. But how many years has it been? The closest I can come to is 17 years. 17 years. And I think out of the blue, I got a call from Biola something, some program, (laughs) wanted to do a seminar, and we arranged that first one 17 years ago. Yeah, it was right around that time. I was running a program for homeschoolers, and as far as I know, that program is still going strong there in Southern California at Biola University, not Viola. Sometimes we get that. Viola? No, (laughs) Biola. You're a music school. Yeah, no, it's more than that, but I was hired to help Biola University recruit homeschoolers to their school and ran a program for junior high and high school students. And this program was an academic program. We wanted to help the parents. This was something new at the time. No one was doing these classes for junior high and high school students. And we did biology, we did algebra, and we did writing. And oh, no one really knew how exactly to teach writing. We had some people that had some ideas. I remember a hamburger model where you do the top is the, well, no, I'm starting to now do the hand motions for the topic right. creature rule, the, but the, it was. The bun and the patty and the topic sentence and the meat and the right and concluding sentence. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that idea has been around forever. Sure, sure. So we did a little bit of that and lots of grammar and wow, we just could not, that first year, we just struggled through how to teach writing. And then I heard about you and picked up the phone to call the Institute for Excellence in Writing. And this man with a funny last name answered the phone. And it was Andrew Poudoua. And he said, sure, I'll come down and teach your teachers and teach your students. And that was a long time ago. (laughs) And as I recall, it probably was one of the, if not the, most well-attended seminar I had ever taught to date. Well, I did have a little trick for getting parents to come to the teaching, writing, structure, and style two-day seminar. And actually, Andrew, I think that very first time you did it, it was just a one-day at the time. Was it really? And then you expanded it to a two-day. But Uh as I said, I had a little trick, and that was this. If you want your students to sign up to be a part of these classes where this really amazing teacher, this funny teacher is going to come and teach your kids, you have to sign up. That's right. For the TWSS. You, you did that. This draconian zero tolerance policy Pretty forcing. Much. And of course, I was just working for a number of dollars per day. Right. But more importantly, 
the parents learned what you were teaching, which is ultimately what we were going for. And that is what we're still going for today, yes. 17 years later. Yes. And that is everything we do is about teaching the parents and teachers the system so that they can then teach children of all ages and aptitudes in any setting from classroom to co-op to home. And everything else we sell is peripheral, supplemental to that core idea. You, the adult, learn the system, master it, and then you can teach it and have success. Exactly, exactly. Now those 17 years ago, you did, as we mentioned, a teaching, writing, structure, and style. One day that quickly evolved to two days, so much content. But there wasn't a whole lot of other things that we sold. No. In fact, for a while, that was the only product. Right. And had a chance to record the student writing intensive. Right. So we started to sell that product in, I think, 2001. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, Webster and I wrote the Bible-based writing lessons, which was the first of the theme-based books. Mm-hmm. In 2003, we also had got the spelling program in 2000, and that was about it. The TWSS, the SWI, the Bible-based, and the spelling program. But that was enough to allow me to afford to quit teaching violin (laughs) and go full-time into traveling around the country and trying to find more people as dynamic (laughs) as you to organize seminars so that we could expand our mission. Well, and when I have the opportunity today to talk to homeschooling parents or teachers, and they look at this array of materials that we do sell, I tell them that all I had was the teaching, writing, structure, and style seminar. I didn't have anything else, as you and I have talked. There was enough content in those two days that I felt equipped to go ahead and Just try it out. I'm so grateful that we have more support for those families so they're not forced to make up their own lessons like I was. Yes, and we had a lot of casualties back then. People would come to the two-day seminar, see it clearly, get excited, buy in, and then go home and just be too overwhelmed, too busy. Things would get fuzzy. And how do I actually do this? I don't remember. So a lot of our product development has been in response to the call for a little more help. Right. And so with our other video courses for students and, of course, the theme-based writing lesson series, the goal isn't to replace teacher training. It is to enhance the efficiency, enhance the excellent teaching that the teacher is capable of. And, of course, as we said, the TWSS is the foundation. It once was the only thing. And now we've got a whole lot more. It used to be that was the uh, living room, kitchen, and bathroom (laughs) hut. Uh, And now we have a great mansion. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But we still have to have that living room and bathroom and kitchen core of what we do. And we've uh, embellished it a bit most recently. But I thought it would be helpful for our listeners just to kind of go back in time, even before my time, and when you first learned about this writing system. Because as you mentioned, and we actually have a video on our website, the first 13 minutes of the Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Style video course, where you explain a little bit of the history. So I don't think it will take you 13 minutes right now, but 
Give us a little background. Well, we'll, we'll shrink and summarize that. But yeah, I was working at a school in Montana. There was a Canadian teacher there who had been to this course called the Blended Soundsite Program of Learning in northern Alberta. And she was so excited about this, what was called the BLESS system, Blended Soundsite, mm. BL. BSS. Uh, she wanted us all to go, and so we did. All the teachers, my wife was working at the school at the time, and we all traipsed up there, and about half the teachers took Mrs. Ingham's course for primary level reading and writing, and about half of us took Dr. Webster's course on the blended structure and style in composition. So that BSS acronym actually has two, blended sound sight method of Mrs. Ingham, blended structure and style. So I met Dr. Webster there. Um, it was a 10-day course, a week and a half. You were there for 10 days? Staying in wow. college dormitories, eating cafeteria food in a mosquito-infested place where the sun didn't set until midnight. But, whoa, was it packed with learning and the lectures and the activities and the practicum sessions for us in the writing camp left there after those 10 days thinking that guy Webster is the most curmudgeon, crabby, stereotypically grumpy college professor type I have ever personally met. But his system, and you'll be shocked for me to use this word, his system rocks. Yes. I mean, it really. <laughs> I went back, taught in that school, seventh and eighth grade, taught various things, but English among them and was using the structure and style ideas in the classroom and realizing that, wow, this is better than anything I've seen anybody ever do. Mm -hmm. And I decided that there was more to learn. I felt like I had touched it and I had gotten some success, but there were fuzzy things. You know, when you try to learn everything in 10 days and then teach it out over the year, it's almost as ridiculous as trying to learn everything in two days. Two days, <laughs> right. I'm thinking 10 days wasn't enough. So I went back the following summer mm -hmm. to take that same 10-day course again. And that was, of course, where I kind of got in a personal relationship with Dr. Webster. I brought to him some of my student samples, which he uh, thoroughly lambasted <laughs> with a, a modicum of encouragement. <laughs> he had actually, between the, that first and second year, expanded his book one more time. I have it right here in front of me, Blended Structure and Style in Composition by James B. Webster. And this book, like many, kind of began as a collection of handouts that then got organized and edited and reorganized and added to and reorganized and re-edited. And I don't know how many editions there were, but I came home with a, a newly revised version, which was much helpful. Mm -hmm. We happened to uh, move from... Uh, small town in Montana, Livingston area, to Bozeman, and I started a preschool, and I continued to teach writing classes after school to children, applying my newly revitalized mm -hmm. uh, understanding of structure and style, because these were after-school classes. They were different than a classroom where you're teaching same kids every day. And I have to tell you, I just got a Facebook message from one of those students, this would have been a girl who was probably 10 or 11 years old in 1992. Wow. And of course, she's married with kids. And mm -hmm. she Facebooked me and Aww. said, oh, Mr. Pudua, I just want you to realize how valuable those classes were when I was in your class all those years ago. And wow. It was very sweet. I almost cried. <laughs> and I thought, man, I am really getting old now. <laughs> 
But uh, so then I probably made the, the, the fatal or providential decision to go back to Canada a third time, <laughs> at which point did. they said, well, if you're going to keep coming back, we're going to make you work here. So I joined the staff and became Dr. Webster's assistant and uh, didn't make anything, but they did feed me and, and put <laughs> me up. But I felt, you know, I'm getting deeper. I'm really kind of getting now a chance to teach this to other teachers, which is a little different than teaching it to, to children. Right. You've got to have a, a higher level of readiness and explanation. And I prepared my lectures very carefully, and Webster critiqued them very harshly. That was the beginning of a multi-year opportunity to travel to the northern wastes and <laughs> steep myself more and more in Mrs. Ingham and Dr. Webster, Shirley George, and the whole blended sound site, blended structure and style culture. And they liked having it in that very remote place, so there were fewer distractions. Yes, there was nothing to do except go to the lectures, do the practicum assignments, and make materials for your classroom, and play little cards at night because it was so far from anywhere, there was nowhere to go. And of course, you didn't really want to go outdoors because the mosquitoes were just unbearable. So uh, yeah, it was actually kind of a retreat. And uh, most of the people there were public school teachers in mm -hmm. Canada. So the blended instruction style really got its start in and grew during the 80s, really, the whole decade of the 80s in the public school networks in Canada where right. they uh, they had. And some schools were so on board, they would require all new teachers they hired to go and take that 10-day course. I don't remember what year, but it was uh, probably late 90s. We shrank the course to six days. And that was partly just because the clientele was changing, the Inghams were getting older, mm -hmm. it was just tougher to get people there. And unfortunately, the Gruard phenomenon gradually faded to the point where it was no longer economically viable. Right. Uh, and as I teased you earlier today, you know, they're teachers. They right. weren't really running a business. They were just trying to get enough to pay expenses so they could share their good ideas right. with other teachers. And right. so this community of, you know, freely I give, freely you teach, mm -hmm. let's make the world a better place. But without a little bit of business acumen, it's hard to keep something like that going, especially right. as there's a shift toward now high-tech, more stuff, universities more aggressive, school districts more mechanical, dictated curriculums. The whole, the whole thing kind of just stopped being as appropriate for that more modern clientele. Right. And, of course, Mrs. Ingham lived to be 101, I believe, and was sharp as a tack all the way up to the end and passed on a few years ago. And what a great woman. She mm -hmm. won the Order of Canada, which is the highest civilian award you can receive as a Canadian citizen for contributions to her country. Right. Webster's still alive in Vancouver. I usually go see him a couple times a year, as curmudgeon as ever. <laughs> but he keeps a close eye on what we're doing yes, here. Yes, he does. And from time to time, harsh critiques, which yes. is good for us, keeps yes. us on vision, on mission. Yes, yes, and, and promoting his vision is really, in a way, what we're doing here in that we're continuing with the structure and style syllabus. So I think that would be helpful just to, to turn to that. What is this writing method that we actually teach? 
Yeah. Well, he put this all together over a period of decades. Right. And uh, sometime, if you like, I'll do the webinar, History of Webster's Development. You know, okay. <laughs> I have all those notes. I bet you do. Having interviewed him in great detail. It's the nine units, the structural units, and then the syllabus of stylistic techniques. In the nine units, it includes both your story, creative, fiction, inventive type of writing, and also it includes your report, research, essay type of writing. And one of the brilliant parts of this syllabus, and he told me, he wrestled with this, what order to put the units in, Mm -hmm. he finally settled on alternating between. So unit one and two is kind of neutral, starts out with the simple source text that could be a little story like an Aesop fable, or it could be a little encyclopedic information about an unusual animal or famous person or something. And then unit three is retelling the narrative stories and telling variations on narrative stories. So that's kind of on that creative imaginative side. Unit four is uh, summarizing references, the basic skill you need to move information from one place to another. And I tell you, wherever you go in the world, whether it's fourth grade at blah, blah elementary school down the street or a classical conversations class or whether you're like my son-in-law who just finished writing a doctoral level thesis on theology, a lot of what we have to do is move facts, information from one place to another without copying it exactly. Right, right. We have to summarize. We have to understand. And so this basic skill is at the linchpin point, unit four, in the syllabus. And then after a month or so of that, we go back to, let's write from pictures. Mm -hmm. And the history of how he came up with this is kind of funny. When he was a teacher and teaching in the middle school level, uh, one of the great problems in the school at that time? Bullying. No. Gum chewing. Comic books. Comic books. (laughs) Contraband comic books. Oh, dear. (laughs) The kids would smuggle into class and read secretly under their desk, and these had to be confiscated. So one day Webster thought, well, they like comic books. Why not let them write Mm -hmm. about it? So he went into his stack of confiscated contraband comic books and started cutting out pictures from the comic books and mm. pasting them on white pages so they were kind of separate, handing them out and say, okay, guys, write stories describing these pictures. And they did a great job of it and had a lot of fun. Sure. So it was another way to exercise the imagination, but in a productive and focused way. So that was Unit 5. I love Unit 5. I was just at a museum last week and was looking at some of the pictures on the wall, and I could start imagining the questions I would ask to be able to write a Unit 5. Well, I loved it. Well, and in a way, you could take great pictures like that or photographs of a trip or whatever and use the Unit 5 paragraph model to write a kind of detailed caption right. for that picture. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many uses, so many uses. Unit 6, just so we don't get too far off track here, is, of course, the mini research project. It's how do you deal with multiple references. Mm -hmm. It's an extension of what do you do when you have one reference with too much information, you have to choose what's interesting or important and transfer that without copying it verbatim. Now what do you do when you have several books like that 
and you have to sort through and organize it into a logical sequence. And, and of course, we use note cards for that whole project. Right? Yes, well, that's part of the you know the humorous little dialogue in the TWSS is that a lot of us when we were in school had that great huge note card. Project. No note cards allowed. It's, you know that <laughs> whole thing in microcosm, mm-hmm. and we teach people how to do a complete start to finish multiple reference research project in a couple hours. It's short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a couple hours, start to finish. And if you want something long, you just do that again and again for as long as you need. Mm-hmm. So it takes what seems to be complex and overwhelming to so many people and puts it into small, manageable steps. Mm-hmm. And that is what I really recognized when I saw Webster for the first time. In fact, some of our listeners would know my background is primarily a Suzuki violin teacher. That's what I did full-time for the mm-hmm. first 15 years of my adult life. And what I noticed was that Webster essentially had discovered, created, stumbled upon, evolved, whatever word you want to use, a Suzuki method for teaching English composition. Mm-hmm. And one of those distinctives is to break things down into very small, manageable pieces so students are not overwhelmed. Right. I love that the principles that are learned in unit one are carried throughout the syllabus. You write from a keyword outline, no matter what unit you're on. And you learn that in unit one. So easy. Yeah, the whole way through. Unit seven is what Webster originally in his course called creative writing. Mm -hmm. We have chosen to retool that now with our newer version of teaching writing instruction style, inventive writing. Mm -hmm. For two reasons, really. One reason is that uh, creative writing carries a lot of baggage with it. You, you, well, you were a school teacher, mm-hmm. and you go and hang out with teachers, and creative writing, it just has all this stuff, you know, stream of consciousness flow, poetry, mm-hmm. all kinds of things that are a little off what we're trying to do, which is to teach students articulate ideas from their brain onto paper, but in an, an organized, winsome way. And so that we switched over. Also, invention is one of the uh, canons of rhetoric. And one of the little things I like to point out is is just the origin of the Latin words. Uh, Create comes from creo, which is the Latin verb to create, kind of ex nihilo, right? In the beginning, God created from nothing the heavens and the earth. That's, Mm -hmm. That's creo. Whereas invenio, which is the root for invention, and also the word inventory, That means to find or to discover. So when you approach creative writing with kids and and say, okay, make something up, produce some original idea that nobody ever had before, it's a little bit like saying, kid, be like God, Mm -hmm. you know, produce something from nothing. Whereas when you say, find something in your memory, in your experience, in your reading, in your life, find, just find something that's in there and draw that out and write about it, that's so much more doable than that make up something. Even cooks don't create, they assemble ingredients. Right. (laughs) Um, And of course, that's a a topic unto itself. So if people are ever confused, they look at, you know, maybe Webster's book or one of our older things that says creative writing. Now we call it inventive writing. Right. It's the same thing. We just change the word to be a little more distinct and have a bit more clarity. And this, Unit 7, is where almost every other writing program that I know of actually starts. Yes, that is true. Most that we find basically say, in order to learn to write, you have to think of something. Right. 
And a lot of kids are stuck right there. Right. You know, blank page, blank paper, blank brain, tears dripping on the paper. I don't know what to say. I can't right. think of anything. So if you make learning to write requisite upon thinking of something and you're dead in the water, what's going to happen? Right. Not all children have that problem, right. but I would say a good majority probably suffer that to some degree. Well, and if I can share an analogy, that happened in my own family with my boys. My middle son is a musician. And his favorite thing was to sit down at the piano and make up his own musical scores. Whereas my other two didn't necessarily have that natural talent. They were able to play the music on the page as they got the instruction. Now my middle son, who was talented, didn't become an accomplished musician until he learned the music that he should have learned when he first started. <laughs> so he's he's still a musician today and still does a wonderful job, but he has that creativity, but he has the structure now and knows what to do with it. Right, and we do see that's a great comparison because we meet parents all the time who say, oh, I have this very talented child who loves to write, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to help her. Right. You know? Or I have this other child who can't stand writing. I can't figure out how to help him because it's just like pulling teeth and I don't know what to do. And of course, part of the brilliance of this approach is that it helps organize the the one high-talented, high-spirited, profuse, and it helps to give format and direction in small, manageable chunks to the to the other end. So, right. so it's a good point. So I guess to summarize that, while most writing programs say you have to think of something to learn to write, we kind of put that back upright, head over heels correctly, and say, by learning to write, by expressing existing ideas, stories, facts, you gradually then learn to think. Right. And that really is kind of the, the core of what we're all about. We, we say the four language arts, we talk about listening, speaking, reading, writing, but what's the culmination of that? Thinking. Thinking. And the way that Webster set it up is so brilliant, I don't think he could have humanly thought it up. I do believe there's a certain amount of supernatural inspiration. There's Mm -hmm. some kind of providential nature in this system because it's just too good. It works too well. It's, It's too organized. And he put in the labor. He put in the sweat. But there is a almost a, a hesitate to use the word, but almost a, a divine spark in this system. Yeah, one of our project managers says it's genius. Okay, so we're running out of time. We want to finish the unit. So yep. uh, unit eight is essays. And this is where the two strands kind of come together. On one side, we had the collect the facts report research. And on the other side, we had kind of learn how to think, ask yourself questions, imagine, have an opinion. And so we put these together in unit eight. An essay, by definition, is a composition that has an opinion. It expresses an idea, belief, or opinion of of the author. Now, you generally have to collect up facts to support your opinion because everyone knows that just having an opinion without facts, that's just obnoxious. But you can go either way. And so what we show is how you can show a child to collect up and organize facts and then kind of force them to have an opinion about those facts as kind of a stage one. Or you can start with an opinion and go and collect up facts to support that opinion 
and that would be more of a kind of an argumentative type of academic essay. Right. And I love that our Unit 8, we've got the foundation of the basic essay, but then you expand that to several other variations. Yes, that's something that uh, is important for people because we do have the very traditional five-paragraph essay, which has been criticized Mm -hmm. in some sectors as a starting point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we then have uh, expansions and variations on that five-paragraph. So if you learn one structure, kind of a basic skeleton idea, then you can have combination, permutation, variation. If you don't have a basic structure, where do you begin? Right. It's, it's like, you know, uh, an uh, animal without a skeleton. It's a blob <laughs> on the floor. It does nothing. We could devote a whole podcast just right. to essays and what they are mm. and variations that you can have and advanced essays. But to me, that is kind of the point, the climax, if you will, of Webster's syllabus where you're collecting up facts and thinking about those and they come together in one model. Right, right. Then unit nine, maybe you consider the denouement, that's appropriate literary term mm-hmm. because it's the critique. And then we have in the new TWSS the expansion of writing from literature or response to literature and literary analysis. They all kind of fall into that category. So we start with Webster's basic five-paragraph critique model, get that under the belt, and then we can kind of have hybrids between Unit 8 and Unit 9 and a little more literary analysis. But I always think it's important not to get too deep into literary analysis too quickly uh, because you can kill the puppy, you know? Kids love to read. They love stories. Mm -hmm. You don't learn the story by chopping it up and dissecting it and (laughs) and staring at every little piece that's dead you learn by playing with the puppy and so let's read stories and just talk about them freely and enjoy them first and then literary analysis has its time and place you know as we grow older and we don't like to play with puppies that's when we're willing to dissect them and look at the inside i suppose so (laughs) so this system is called blended structure and style of which our program, Teaching Writing Structure and Style, is based. Yes, and we only talked about the structure. Right, and our timekeeper So we're going to have to come back and talk about the style and how they're blended together. Exactly. Yeah. We'll talk then. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.